Good afternoon. Welcome to the game. Mitch Fortner, Troy Coverdale, David G. Sage Williams is here today across the glass, running mm-hmm. the show. Mm-hmm. Big Steve is off somewhere reading off radar tips on Twitch. <laughs> he is a, he's, our, he's our radar expert mm-hmm. when it comes to weather. Yeah, he's in charge, and uh, he also has a Twitch account. He does, and I've watched his Twitch one time. It's really cool. That was a let's analyze that sneeze real quick. Deal, COVID. So yeah, I mean that wasn't my first thought. You know, if this was if this was six months ago, yeah. I probably would have thought, get out of here, yeah. go get tested. I'm not sure about you anymore. See ya. But. He turned away and he just sneezed right into the stuffing that's on the wall, you know, so we don't have actually, a lot of echo. Actually, yeah, well, that and... You plug your nose. I, I attempted to be quiet that way. That is amateur hour. <laughs> that's that's the attempt I just to think that, that would hurt. It. You don't want to hear a sneeze that comes from me if I don't do that. <laughs> hey, listen, here, I learned this a long time ago. When you're going to sneeze, you got to let it out. Yeah. Just, just blow that horn. Well, I don't know. My wife... Has a really loud sneeze. She goes, Aah! and I'm like, "Are you serious? <laughs> like, why? Just go, Achoo! you know, regular." She just really gets if into you, it, lets it rip. If you want to muffle the sneeze, yeah. do the vampire deal, right? And just throw your face into the bend of your arm. Absolutely. By the way, you want to pass the uh, uh, germ killer over here? Yes, right? please. But and I heard plugging your nose like. I would think that I have Clorox, a- I have wipes, I have sanitizer, sanitizer. and I have spray. And sanitizer, have, uh, bleach thank you. As well. Yeah, right. But plug in your nose, you, bur- you would break a, bl- a blood vessel in your eyeball or something that way. Well, not completely closed, but <sighs> you know. That just seems like it would hurt. Trying to make sure I softened it. So just that- throw it into your arm next time. Yeah. Let the uh, just let it roll. Yeah, man. we're not going to judge it too hard. Oh, no. Although we will analyze every piece of it, how violent it was, how <laughs> innocent it was, <laughs> graded on a scale of yeah. one to ten. Uh, you, you, yeah, you want you want those sneezes. That's my wife. They usually come in threes. Chew, chew, chew. <laughs> Mark of the Beast. Yeah. <laughs> that was Mitch, honey. That yes. was Mitch. Uh, guys, we got a fun show ahead of us because this is actually going to be our last full show of the week. K-State Baseball will start at 5 on Thursday and Friday. They wrap up their regular season with a three-game series in Morgantown taking on the Mountaineers of West Virginia. But we will later on this hour hear from K-State Baseball coach Pete Hughes. I recorded an interview with him while uh, they were going through the mountains from Blacksburg, Virginia to Morgantown, which is like, I think it's like a three to four hour drive. Not too bad then. Well, they also drove another uh, three hours before that from Charlotte to Blacksburg. So it's a lot of charter bus time. Right. Yep. Been there. Understand that uh, for the Morgantown portion. And of course, if you've ever been to Morgantown or have ever heard the stories about flying in and out, there is no flying in and out of Morgantown unless you got a real small plane. You got to go to Pittsburgh. So that's another hour and a half from Morgantown to Pittsburgh. Uh, I'll tell you the story one sometime about uh, having a flight from Des Moines to Pittsburgh that we weren't able to make. And thus had to fly into Detroit and bust to Morgantown the rest of the way. Yeah, that's that's oh. that's that's nasty. Ooh. That's just nasty. Coming up in the second hour, our PGA Championship draft is kind of like the uh, it's exactly like the NASCAR draft we had last week, but we just have the itch to do some more gambling amongst ourselves. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we we needed it. I thought we were going to do the five o'clock hour on how I won the the Advocare Seven Thousand, baby. 
I don't know what you just said. Yeah, the Advocare. I know what that is. He's still he's still wanting to celebrate his. Yeah, we didn't break it down. How it was, you know, impressive. How we did Monday. We did Monday. You just weren't here. That's on you. Oh dang it, guys! (laughs) Number one song of the day. Ask us anything. K State adding six to the Ring of Honor. That is coming up at five ten, along with. Mr. David G. has some big news to announce. Yeah. Some very exciting news that we're all ready to hear. But, of course, it's Wednesday. You know what that means. Derek Young yes. from K-State Online yes. is joining us via the Zoomski, and we're going to talk some K-State recruiting. Now, for the past two months, we've always led off D.Y. with football. Um. I'm sorry, leading off with basketball. Today we're going to be leading off with football. And for some reason I made a bonehead move and did not save my notes. Uh, So I'm kind of going in um, a bit rough here and a bit unprepared because I didn't save my notes and I forgot to do that. So it's going to be a little bit rough here, but that's why we have you on, D.Y. That's why we bring you on anyway because you're the knowledgeable one. You're teaching us what's going on with KC football. But the Cats add... Um, I just wanted to get your first thoughts on the Cats adding a couple of more defensive backs. I mean, the 12 transfers that have come in in the offseason are now, half of them are defensive backs. But your thoughts on uh, the last couple of them? And it's 13 in total if you add in by Samalo, I think. Oh, I forget about him, honestly. Garden City, yeah. But but he committed so early, he wasn't necessarily an offseason addition. So I can understand we're getting him. But yeah, 13 transfers, nearly half. From the secondary, it's really just replenishing because that's where a lot of the attrition has come from the past few years. It just seems like it's a bit of a revolving door, a defensive back, a little bit of linebacker too. Um, you know, just positions of complication in terms of, you know, holding holding on to their guys. And, and with the cornerback room, you lost T. Denson, you lost Justin Gardner, you, you lost a few guys, you know, but the years before that. So and you don't really have – strong younger classes yet i think they they like what they have seen so far from omar daniels and darrell jones but this will be their first year that isn't a red shirt so they just needed a little bit more trust and that's why they added jordan wright who will probably be the transfer that plays the most in the secondary and perhaps kobe savage too at safety but the most recent ones are justice clemens who came from tyler junior college and I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right, but Javion Carr from Arizona, the transfer from the Pac-12 program. And you got to wonder if those are maybe more transfers that impact the future more than, you know, this upcoming season. Carr's never played a football snap of college football yet. Um, He redshirted at Arizona. I don't think he ever got on the field. And Justice Clemens still has three years of eligibility remaining himself. And you got to imagine Wright and Julius Brents and Echo Boydell will be ahead of them. Um, just those three and perhaps even Omar Daniels. So they, they literally just kind of filled in the, I think, vacant spots at cornerback and found some instant help at safety. And um, now you have a full engineered secondary to work with going into the 2022 season. We're talking with Derek Young from Case Center Line. And when we last heard from KC football coach Chris Kleiman about you know, just the lack of depth the K-State defense has and uh, the the rest of the work they're going to try to do with the transfer portal, which we've seen now, is all defense other than a running back. Do you feel mm-hmm. like – and K-State has had you know receiver. some some transfers. And, I'm, yeah, of course, uh, Jaden Jackson, a receiver from Ole Miss. But a lot of it's been defense and trying to add to the depth. Do you feel like K-State has done a solid job adding to that depth? They've got a lot of JUCO. Yeah, I mean – 
And to be honest, they went the junior college route. It was almost a bit of a pivot for them because they realized, you know, that maybe the transfer portal isn't as plentiful as everyone was anticipating once spring ball had ended. They thought there would be another rush, you know, of players to jump into the portal after that when realizing, you know, maybe this isn't the best fit. I don't like my coach. I'm not going to play a whole bunch. But that never really happened. The ones, you know, the hopped into the portal were kind of the ones that coaches wanted to hop in the portal, to use a term that Jerome Tang mentioned earlier on in the transfer portal for the basketball side. So I think they realized um, maybe quicker than others, and that's probably why they outflanked the Power 5 programs for, for a number of junior college recruits here in this last phase, is that they quickly realized, hey, it might be more talented, more fruitful at the JUCO level than it will be from the portal. And they, they definitely felt that way when they grabbed you know, the likes of Anthony Free as a running back, Jordan Wright, Justice Clemens. They're hoping still for Gavin Forsha at linebacker, a little bit of a head-to-head battle with USC on that one that hasn't been determined yet. He'll make his decision pretty soon. He just visited USC after a visit to K-State. K-State locking, locking horns here a lot with some, you know, I guess you could say prestigious programs. They beat Florida State head-to-head for Jordan Wright. But to answer your question, I think they did a sensational job. I think you're right that they incorrect that they set out to um, address the depth on the defensive side of the ball, and, and they seem to have probably plugged every hole that, that might have been there and then some. The only one remaining probably linebacker. So Gavin Forsha would be a pretty huge addition if they can knock off Lincoln Riley for him. Yeah, fingers crossed. K-State just added a bunch of uh, Reggie Stubblefields to the uh, to the roster because you know they're all going to get some time. Hopefully, you, at least most of them will, will get some significant time. You would imagine. Uh, yeah, for and, and they in two two of the players they added actually have a connection to Reggie Stubblefield. Yeah, the Arizona transfer that I mentioned, Javier Carr, went to the same high school as Stubblefield. Those two are still pretty close, um, from what I understand. That even though Carr was a lot younger than Reggie Stubblefield, obviously. And another Prairie View AM defensive back transfer in Drake Cheatham. Yeah, and uh, if Casey does end up adding uh, the Juco linebacker Gavin Forsha, that means three guys would be from Tyler uh, Community College, right? Yep, yep, because it would be because they've already added what Justice Clemens, mm-hmm. um, which was a few days ago, and then Kobe Savage signed in December. Speaking with Derek Young from Casey and Alina, one more, uh, well, it's kind of more of just a general question about the recruiting and where we're at just right now with the transfer portal and, you know, what's the, uh, where recruiting is right now, basically just as a whole. I, I my memory is just absolutely god awful. And I don't know if this has ever been asked in a, uh, in a press conference to a coach. Maybe you remember, or you might just have had this dialogue with a coach, but like, when a coach is looking at a kid, how important in the transfer portal, like how important is it these days that they have a bunch of eligibility left? Because it could be they could be gone in a year anyway. It probably depends what you're looking for, right? Um, a bunch of eligibility is kind of a weapon because they don't have another free transfer. That's what you have in Javion Carr from Arizona. Like you get him for four years now and he has to sit out a year if he wants to transfer again. So you probably, I don't want to call it a hostage situation, but you, you know what I mean, in, in that way. Or you need someone that can impact the football field right away, no matter what, that has to that has to play a lot of snaps, has to play a lot of minutes if it's basketball. Then you're probably going to look for an older player that is a little bit more ready. So it just depends what, what you really want, what you're looking for. Um, for Kansas State, when they went and got Carr, who was four years of eligibility, and Clemens with three years of eligibility, 
I think they realized they already had a lot of the snaps accounted for between Julius Prince, Echo Bordeaux, and Jordan Wright, and perhaps Omar Daniels. So um, they didn't have to set out for an instant impact newcomer that you know could impact the football field from day one. Now, if they can, that's great, but that's why they could afford to take someone with a little bit more eligibility remaining that could hopefully impact the football field for you for multiple years and for the ones after, because let's be honest, that cornerback, they're probably banking on this being the final year for both Boydeau and Brents. But in the case of safety, they needed a guy that could play right away. So Kobe Savage, I think he has two years left. So he could play right away. Same with the, uh, um, uh, I forget now, but at safety, they needed a more instant impact player. So it, it really, in terms of eligibility, what they're looking for, it just depends what kind of contribution that they're in search of at that point. Speaking with Derek Young from KCNLI, we got one more segment with DY up next. We'll talk Cats Hoops next. Welcome back to the game. We're hanging out for a few more moments with Derek Young from KCNLI, another Wednesday visit with DY, but now we jump to basketball. It's now been 16 days since Naquan Tomlin picked the Cats, so it's been a, a quiet 16 days, I suppose, when it comes to officially adding guys to the roster, still seven of 13 scholarships filled. Uh, but first, D.Y., uh, you heard it there in the update from from Troy. And it's coming up on uh, November 30th. The Cats going to make up that game that wasn't played two years ago. So you ready for that trip to Hinkle Fieldhouse? Yeah, I mean, I uh, probably not as well-versed in the, what should I say, pedigree that exists between Kansas State and Butler, the story, tradition. Mm, 2010 of some of those games, but uh, I, I am excited to go to Hinkle Fieldhouse. We don't go to every road game, or at least we haven't the past few years, but that's one we'll probably go out of our way to do for sure. Oh, yeah, I'm sure the you know K-State has the plan to do the old uh, Hoosiers gimmick while they're in there with the with the paint and the, the height of the goal. Throwback uniforms for that game, too. Yeah, be, that, yeah that would be pretty cool. But, yeah, 2010 – Elite Eight, Cats playing in overtime two days prior, less than two days prior to that against Xavier. Yeah, the, yeah, yep. If you don't go to overtime, you probably you know Final Four. Cats yeah. probably have a national championship, you know. But uh, that this is where the revenge comes, I suppose, coming up on November thirtieth. But uh, yeah, that would be a really fun road trip for sure. Now back to recruiting in in K State hoops. Uh, yesterday, Sean Baby Shack Phillips. 6'11 center. Uh, I, I was already doing the marketing for K-State already. Baby Shack, you could do the Baby Shack song instead of Baby Shark. I mean, there's so much you could do with that, but he chooses LSU over K-State. I remember last week you kind of threw it out there that you know LSU is a big player. So I would imagine from, from your side of things, you weren't surprised to see him pick LSU over K-State. Yeah, from a marketing angle, you're right with the whole Baby Shaq thing, right? But that plays probably a little bit better than bat- in Baton Rouge where yeah. Shaq did play. So mm-hmm. I think that was, uh, I mean, once I, I, you know, we, it was revealed that LSU was one of the main competitors for Kansas state for someone that refers to themselves as baby shack. Um, my excitement or confidence level dips pretty considerably. I would imagine if I, you know, called myself little Michael Beasley, you know, K state probably rings a little bit louder than any other program. So I just thought that that was probably too tough of a pull for the Wildcats to overcome. Yeah, me too. Now 
what I've been reading on K-State Online, you know, a couple of guys that, uh, well, one decided to pull back his visit, not come earlier this week, and then another one that did visit but has hold, held off his announcement. You have Jared Valencia, 6'8", power forward from Columbia. He's a three-star kid. And then another three-star kid, a small uh, a shooting guard, rather, 6'6", from Baltimore. And that's, uh, is it R.J. Lewis? Am I saying yeah, that right? Yeah, that, that's the way I, I would pronounce it. He's probably going to end up with UMass and uh, Frank mm. Martin, um, ironically. And, and I'm not going to say that Kent State's just you know writing these two off. Um, I don't want to be that bold about it when I've never been specifically told that. But with the way things have unfolded, for those two, I would imagine Kent State's literally just surveying the field a little bit more at this point and trying to decide which piece goes where and um, needed a little bit more time and, and patience before they could really uh, solidify those decisions and make those arrangements with those prospects. So if the timelines don't fit, then you kind of go your separate ways. I, I'd imagine that that's probably what's at play here. And if you're a Kansas State fan, the, the I guess the good news you could take from that is, is that potentially that could be you can infer that they might be um, in on a kid that they deem a better prospect. Now, the last thing I have for you, Dy, is you know we mentioned last week about how you know Coach Tang and we heard it said in interviews that you know guys that are in, in the NBA draft process that'll be hopefully withdrawing their names in a little less than a month from now, they'll have a good shot at, at getting some of those guys. But at the same time, you know, you still have to add a few more guys and and, and keep the process rolling. I mean, I don't know if you could go out there and get five or six guys in the NBA draft process. That sounds just about impossible. Um, so you still need more guys. And I, I know the latest guy to visit, I do believe, is uh, David Gasson, who is a yep. Virginia Tech forward who played two seasons yet. You know, I, I, I get the feeling now if we start getting some more of these guys, it's not going to have the best reaction from the fan base as maybe the previous did. I was like, okay, go get a couple of guys that maybe played a year or two, hardly played but had potential. But is Gasson also in that ballpark where just has barely played and uh, potentially could be a Wildcat? He's a kid from the Netherlands. Yeah, and he's actually played quite a bit. Um, just, you know, maybe not a piece of the puzzle that really fit for what they were trying to do at Virginia Tech. You know, he is, you know, much like the guys they've already added. So you, you make a good point there in that he's just, you know, great size, great length, great athleticism, just, you know, all these things that make someone's potential, you know, pretty high, the upside pretty enormous, but just haven't been able to make it click or make it, you know, come together all at once for whatever reason. So um, they're assembling a roster full of these kinds of guys. That's what it really feels like. Now, they still need an impact score, don't get me wrong, but if they can develop, you know, and I think they can, but if they can develop talent, you know, at any considerable respectable level, they're going to be a really good basketball team. Now, how soon? That's probably the bigger question of how quickly it can come together because you do have a lot of guys that haven't necessarily had a lot of production yet in their basketball careers, at least at the college level. But a, a bunch of guys that have the potential, and, and it could happen quick, you never know, but the potential to, to be very good basketball players – but yeah, for whatever reason, just hasn't clicked. Could be the coach scheme fit, whatever it is. But they got a bunch of guys that can play that just haven't done it. 
Yeah, and thank you for correcting me there at the beginning. David Gasson has played you know, roughly, what is it, about 15 minutes a game in his career, but his numbers, you know, three points, two and a half rebounds a game, I suppose, you know, that doesn't Maybe for some fans, it won't be exactly a thrilling thing to see, especially after you went and got some guys from the SEC that had barely played in their first year. But potential, certainly, and I uh, definitely have some uh, room for uh, to impress me, I suppose, to show that, yes, you can develop these guys and turn them into the kind of athletes you want to build this program, for sure. Uh D.Y., that's really all I have for you this week. It's been a quiet week other than football, adding some uh, guys in the secondary uh, basketball hopefully will be uh, dropping some new names. And, I got one uh, question for you. Go ahead. L. Roberson, yay or nay? Yay. Ring of Honor? Absolutely yay? yay, for sure. Um, I, I think the, the big point. argument is, we can talk about this here for just a moment, because about L. Roberson, I think the big argument there is, well, he wasn't like first team all Big 12. And like, well, I mean, to me, it's not about competing against other guys in the Big 12 for this spot that's K-State only. I mean, it's just about what did he do for K-State athletics? Was yeah, and he's really meaningful to his era. Um, and, you know, the first Big 12 championship and, you know, or first conference championship for Kansas State football, and I don't know how long, right, um, kind of brought it all together and culminated in Bill Snyder's first Big 12 championship before Colin Klein did the same thing in 2012. So I, I understand the importance and the relevance that he has to Kansas State football. He is deserving. But I do understand maybe some pause that other people have. Because not only was he not first team all Big 12, he was never second team all Big 12. Obviously, he had a chance in, what, 02 and 03. I think 02 was Cliff Kingsbury and Seneca Wallace. And 03 was Jason White and maybe um, the the controversial pick that maybe Al Roberson deserved in over B.J. Simmons, who I think was from Texas Tech and was second team. So you can maybe say maybe they just made the wrong pick there. But I think that's where maybe the bridge or the, I guess the ridge is for some people because he never got all conference whatsoever, first or second team. And you have some NCAA All-Americans still not up in the ring of honor. So I, I think I think there's an argument to be made that others are more deserving but I don't think that means L. Roberson is not deserved. Yeah, I don't think – I mean, L. Roberson, 100% in my heart, definitely deserves to be in the ring of honor. But I don't think that's like – that's not the argument we should be having. It should be Tyler Lockett getting in before Kevin. Yeah, that's interesting. And Chris Canty, I think, is a two-time All-American, right? Yes. If I wanna, and he's not in it. That's interesting. Canty, to me, remains one of the most underrated guys from the early Snyder era. Because of the fact that you, you basically we'd never hear about, unless you want to bring up the, the Copper Bowl and his returns, that's about the only time that we ever talk about Chris Canny. He gets overlooked because of Terrence Newman, too. Also true. And he, I mean, L. Roberson had a little trouble winning that starting job, you yeah. know, there for a couple seasons. So, you know, eh, I don't know. It's like you guys said. I mean, he means so much historically. He hurt his hand in t- uh, 2003. Right. He means so much. And he's a made guy for sure in K-State football. I mean, it, forever. But it's like, uh, I don't know. That would be one that you would, uh, I don't know. You can kind of throw that around a little bit. But congratulations. Derek, hey, appreciate your time. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk to you next week. Absolutely. I'll be there. That's Derek Young from K-State Online. Boy, I think he really opened up a 
a discussion. I think we'll have to get to that at 510. Let's, yeah. let's talk Ring of Honor at 510 because coming up next, we have K-State baseball coach Pete Hughes. That's next. It's the game on K-Man. We have Pete Hughes joining us here in just a moment, but first, uh, some news to my right with Troy Coverdale. Traffic accident, Highway 24 and Green Valley Road. Oh, gee, imagine that. Uh, Yeah, folks, it's going to be all the more hairy getting through the worst construction zone in the area. Oh, God. Thank you, Troy. Yep. All right, let's get to uh, K-State baseball coach Pete Hughes. The Cats coming off a series victory this past weekend against the Baylor Bears, winning on Saturday and Sunday. They did lose last night at number 3, Virginia Tech, 8-2. to two. Coach, appreciate your time joining us here on the game. And a nice job winning those two games Saturday and Sunday against Baylor. Now, Nick Goodwin has had first couple of games in the series, Baylor and Kansas, Rough time at the plate. But then he comes through with a gigantic home run to give them victories both against KU on Sunday and against Baylor this past Sunday. But this time around, it was a game-winning grand slam in the bottom of the eighth inning for the Cats to go ahead and win that game. Just your thoughts on that moment of the grand slam from Nick Goodwin in the season he's having this year. I think he's having a great year. I honestly think he should make those under the radar a little bit. Um, But he's He's gotten some really, really big hits for us, you know. And, you know sun, Sunday is as big as it gets. You know, when you have a, when you're down five one, you score, you score six in the eighth inning at home on senior day and left the last day in the point. And, you know, and, and Nick hit the grand slam to, to put us ahead, and that with two strikes, that's about as uh, as good as it gets. And, he, he allows himself to do really good in big moments, but he has the ability to slow things down and, and just try to execute and, and block out any other elements that may add to pressure in pressure situations. He, he's done that since day one as a freshman, and it's been it's been really uh, you know it's, it's impressive to watch because you don't really see that kid not a kid like that come at this level from high school and have such a small learning curve. But, um, He's dependable on the clutch, guys. He's a kid that goes under the radar, like I said, he's not underappreciated by his teammates or our coaching staff. Coach, the bullpen in the Baylor series throws for over 13 innings in the three games combined, just allowing one run on nine hits, striking out nine. Nobody hit any batters. Pretty successful weekend. Was it the best weekend, a big growing weekend for the bullpen that you've seen this year? Yeah, absolutely. You know, of course, you know, it's been pretty consistent guy all year. Ty Rule has been super dependable in the last two weeks. You know, Christian Rubeck has come out of the pen and done a really good job. And, and you know, Dylan Phillips has been the guy we've been giving the ball to to get the, the last outs of games, the hardest outs. But all those guys have, have, have done a phenomenal job lately. Really not beating themselves, being super competitive in the zone, making big pitches kind of changing the momentum of the game and allowing our offense you know, to get back in games or sustain a lead. So that is the name of the game, the efficiency of your start, starting pitching, but also the efficiency of your bullpen. Yeah, we, didn't get, we didn't get that too much at the beginning of the year. That's, that's when we, we stumbled a little bit. 
know, you win some games, you win series when your bullpen gets done for yeah, you mentioned Dylan Phillips coming in to pitch there in a, a couple of ninth innings to get some saves. Now, this is his fourth season, but he's technically listed as a junior, but he was part of the senior day festivities. Is this, I mean, this basically says, you know, he has a good shot at going in the draft, which he didn't last year, but this year he does? Yeah. Um, you know, last year he could have got drafted, but he chose to put a value on himself and, and rightfully so. He's arguably one of the, the most accomplished best all-around baseball players in Kansas State. You know, he, he'll have another year of leverage because of the COVID year. But, but we, we all think that Dylan needs to go ahead and start his career. Best thing for him is his career. But yeah, academically, he graduated. You know, he took a lot of pride in that with a 3.66 you know, GPA. And um, we wanted to reward him and, and, and show our appreciation and, and have him part of our senior day festivities. Rightfully so, because you know, the crowd loves him. And, you know, he, he deserved to, to go out that way. But fittingly enough, he got the, he got the last out of, the, out of the mound and struck out the last hitter in his last day at Point Family Stadium, which was great to see. Yeah, there's no doubt the crowd loves him when he comes out. He always gets the uh, loudest ovation when he's announced during the batting lineup and, and also during the game. Uh, with Pete Hughes, coach of K-State Baseball here on the game, uh, you made your return to Blacksburg yesterday. I know the game didn't go your way. You fall 8-2 to two to the Hokies, but of course you used to be the head coach of Virginia Tech from 07 to 13. I mean, unfortunately, you know, you were there for the, the during the time when the shooting did take place. And of course, I'm sure the whole country does remember that. But how was it for you uh, returning to Blacksburg? Yeah, it was the first time I've, re- I've returned there um, since I left. Such a great place, like like Manhattan, you know, the, the people, the people of the community make, make that place. And Blacksburg has some great human beings in the community and the athletic department. It was a lot of fun. They, they have a really good team this year, which is great to see. And, you know, the facilities are, are awesome, which, you know, needed to happen, but was also just a lot of fun watching that that program grow where it's at, knowing that I had something to do with it a long time ago. And it's just really fun to, to go back to a town where you, where you had a chance to raise your family and do it the right way. Well, starting tomorrow, it's a three-game series against West Virginia, wrapping up the regular season, wrapping up Big 12 play. You have a chance to jump into potentially a tie for sixth place. With West Virginia, you can pull off a sweep. The Mountaineers are 30-20 and 20 this year. You're right now driving through the mountains to get to Morgantown. Uh, but right now, you know, what is your scout on uh, West Virginia? What are they all about this year? You know, West Virginia's got some dependable starting pitching. And the back end of their bullpen is really good. But what makes those guys go is their athleticism and their ability to put pressure on the bases. You know, they're, they're tops in the country and stolen bases and stolen base attempts. So that's their deal. Get on base and run, run, run and put pressure on you. So, you know, they do a good job of not necessarily hitting their way on. They're very disciplined. Play. They work the walk. They try to create traffic. Super athletic, and anybody one through nine is going to try to steal a base. But it's a not matter of when uh, if they're going to steal; it's when they're going to steal. So we got to do a good job of controlling the running game, and but more importantly, you know, limiting base base runners, uh, specifically free free base runners with blocks and hit by pitch. 
with K-State baseball coach Pete Hughes here on the game. All right, coach, your final question. Uh, this was brought up last week on the show. I love traveling. I'm sure you do too and, and become a tourist once in a while, go th- see some famous, famous landmarks. But to you, I'm sure you've been to a, a ton of places. Was there a place that you visited that was hyped? A lot of people go there, very touristy place, but you didn't think it was that great. Maybe a little overrated. Besides Norman, Oklahoma, <laughs> easy one. Disney, Disney World, Orlando, Florida. I went. I went one for five kids, so I went. I went the first time. I would never to go back again. Too hot. Uh, lines are too long and way too expensive. Kids fall asleep halfway through. So, my wife made the, the next two trips without me on the travel squad and um, I will not return to Disneyland I will not return to Disney World as a grandfather I will not um, I'll go anywhere else that one is now off off limits for me and the rest of my life how's that you know what? I'm actually I kind of agree with you. I'm not the biggest Disney World guy. I've never been to Disneyland. The Tower of Terror is is pretty cool, but I think there's a place for those that don't exactly like Disney World so much. It's at Epcot. You just do the tour of beers the whole time. Yeah, Let the rest know, of the family do its thing. Talk to you before I went that first time. That sounds like a great plan. How about y'all, Mitch? Let me know. What do you think? Uh, Times Square, New York City. Okay. It's just a bunch of advertisements, a bunch of giant TVs, people wanting to sell you things, uh, people dressed up in fake Elmo costumes to get tips and take pictures. Too many people as well. That's another place that's just way too crowded. Yeah, way too crowded, way too expensive. No question. All right, Coach. Good luck this weekend against West Virginia. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. That's K-State baseball coach Pete Hughes. We'll take a timeout. We'll finish our one of the game with uh, something I didn't get to do yesterday. That's my top ten list for the week next. Hour one of the game, Mitch Fortner, Troy Coverdale, David G, Sage Williams. Time for my top ten of the list of the week. I didn't get to do it yesterday, so it's it's a day late list. Mm. So this may have been funnier yesterday, but I still wanted to do it. Uh, I'm sure we saw it out there on Twitter or wherever that uh, Texas fans weren't that thrilled to find out that their Week 2 game on September 10th, hosting the Alabama Crimson Tide, <laughs> will be a Fox broadcast because they automatically assume, well, this is the big game of the week, and they put their big games on big noon, 11 a.m. Central Time. They're like, oh, it's going to be hot. It's like 100 degrees. They're on the east side. We get no shade. The best thing I saw was someone point out, oh, we've got a brunch appointment. (laughs) Oh, my God. These white-collar folks. Give we'll me miss brunch. Okay. Anyway. Mimosas. And so there's a petition out there on change.org to uh, make sure Fox does not make this an 11 a.m. kickoff. They want prime time. Well, let me tell you, Texas, you're going to get your butts kicked. Yeah. If you're worried about the heat, you can get out of there at halftime. You've watched <laughs> the game. It took place in the first half. It's going to be over. <laughs> this 5-7 and seven Texas team. Give me a break. They got two players. And they think they're going to have a chance against Alabama. No, sir. Yes. No, sir. But this petition does have, as as of right now, 1,000, 
176 signatures. So my top 10 list this week are 10 games from September 10th, week two of this year, that will get prime time over Alabama and Texas. Whoa, oh boy, 10? There's 10. There's 10 that can get there. Number 10. Number 10 is Arizona State and Oklahoma State. This is a Stillwater game. The reason I pick it for prime time is because Arizona State always plays at night. They it's play true. a ton it's true. of 7 or 7.30 local time kickoffs. Yeah. It doesn't matter where they are. The majority of their games kick off at night. It's crazy. That's crazy. Yep. Welcome to the desert. <laughs> Number nine. Number nine. Kentucky at Florida. This is Ooh. kind of an odd rivalry I've kind of become attached to, because especially since this game is going to be played in Gainesville at the Swamp. And Kentucky has only won one time in the Swamp like in the last 70 years mm-hmm. or something like that. So some history could potentially be made. And Kentucky is better than Florida. They're coming off a 10-win season. That's looking like an SEC, early SEC game, but an upset yeah. in the Swamp. Number eight. Tennessee at Pitt. So week two last year, they played this game in Knoxville. And that was actually probably the best game of the week. Yeah. And that was also the same week that Oregon and Ohio State played in Columbus, in which, by the way, Fox, big noon kickoff, (laughs) 11 a.m. Central Time. And Oregon ended up winning that game on the road. But this time it's no Kenny Pickett. But still, it's got to be up there for primetime action. Number seven. Number seven is Appalachian State at Texas A&M. Oh, I thought you were saying Michigan. So App State, that would be awesome, That'd right? That would be awesome. But uh, I think Michigan owes them a return game. Yeah, they do. Appalachian State went 10-4 and last year, and they're expected to be just as good, if not better, than last year. A&M has a lot of question marks. They won eight games last year. They're trying to replace their best player in Isaiah Spiller, running back, great running back last year. They have a three-man battle going into the fall for quarterback. A couple of them are transfers. One of them's a true freshman and a five-star kid. One of those transfers is from LSU. And so I see that as an upset bid week two. Appalachian State, can they get it done on the road? Number six. Number six is a future, what I feel is going to be a big rivalry in the future of the Big 12. That's Houston at Texas A&M. I'm sorry, Texas Tech. Texas Tech, sorry. Houston at Texas Tech. That is a rivalry in the making. They have played a decent amount of times throughout their history, but Houston leads the all-time series 18-14-1. And Texas is getting ready to leave the conference I think Houston steps in and takes over that spot of Texas Tech's big rivalry. Yes. I mean, t- it's not going to be TCU. It's not going to be Baylor. I know Baylor is like a rivalry of theirs. Now, make it Houston. Yeah. That's that's the deep west of Texas versus the deep east of Texas. Nice. I want to get weirdly serious about Central Florida. I just want to be like direct rivals with them right now. <laughs> if we can make it happen. Number five, Virginia at Illinois. Now, hear me out about this one. What? This game will feature two of the most underrated offensive skill players in college football. Virginia quarterback Brennan Armstrong set like a ton of season school records last year. And then for Illinois, Chase Brown is going to be one of the best returning running backs in the country, and he plays for Illinois. Illinois is supposed to have potentially the best two-man, when it comes to running backs, the two the best two-man rushing attack in the country. Wow. So that will be an intriguing matchup. Yeah. Number four. 
Uh, this is between maybe the two schools I like the least. That's Baylor and BYU. Ooh. Oh, wow. And it's, it's in Provo. Oh wow! So you know, start the broadcast. Maybe as the sun is starting to go down, you get the you get the sunset view of the mountains. Peace out. And then yeah, just Peace play out. the game. Yeah. Uh, Number three. You got to have Iowa State, Iowa in Ooh. some pri- in a primetime slot, which for their sake they actually haven't played in primetime in quite some time. Wow. Like it's been a little while. It's either like a three o'clock kickoff, which it has been quite a bit lately, or they just kick it at eleven AM. Yeah. And like just stuff it on ESPN two. But this is also and this is needs to be a primetime experience. This is the beginning of the downfall of Matt Campbell. No Brock Purdy, no Charlie Kohler, no Brees Hall, no Mike Rose. Wow. Completely different team. Yep. We get to find out what Iowa State has or doesn't have very early. Number two. Number two is USC at Stanford. The only reason I have this is number two, I want Lincoln Riley to get prime time over Oklahoma. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. That's they, it. They're going to go through with that, like the renaming thing or whatever they're going to do. Like, they're going to be so mad. Yeah, we're out. We're <laughs> out. <laughs> and that game's up in uh, Palo Alto. But finally, number one, of course, it's got to be the real SEC visiting the Big 12 matchup that week. Yeah. Missouri at K State. That's it, baby. Put it on ABC. And have like. Let's do ABC and the game day crew there and just give it all, everything. The full treatment. Red carpet. Is uh, Just trying to think here. Florida State, Ohio State, when is that one coming oh. up? All right, I guess Not it's that no, Florida, Florida State that that's, that's that weekend. Ohio State's opener, though, is already uh, game day. Dang. I know that. I got that yesterday. Yeah, I, I saw for week one, like, ABC's already called dibs on like three or four games that weekend. <laughs> and nobody else has called dibs on anything. Yep. All right, hour two of the game is going to feature PGA Championship Draft. Number one song of the day, Ask Us Anything. We are going to talk Ring of Honor. Who should be in and who maybe shouldn't be in? Ooh. That could be a discussion we have, but uh, DG's big news yeah. is around the corner.